I'm Liz Gold, and you're listening to Conversations. Stories about strength, courage, and making it through. I'm glad you're here. Hello, you're listening to Conversations, and I'm your host, Liz Gold. I'm super excited for today's episode. I've known today's guest for a while. We met in New York initially because we were both working in the, get ready for it, accounting industry. And Matthew Hagem is the chief remover of obstacles, which I love. He's a dancer turned choreographer of business transformation with 15 plus years of experience helping entrepreneurs and CEOs to build their businesses. Matthew specializes in developing strong brands and leading intelligent organizational growth through marketing innovation. When he's not busy working directly with clients, Matthew is building community around spiritual entrepreneurship and breaking down the walls between the arts and business. Woo. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. <laughs> I just, I mean, I feel like we could spend the whole show talking about your bio, like all of the amazing <laughs> nuggets that you have in your bio, like yeah, well, business transformation and mm, spiritual entrepreneurship. Mm. Yeah, totally. Well, it is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been doing stuff for a while. And my background is definitely non-traditional, to say the least. And of course, you know, we met in the accounting sector. And that was a place that I ended up accidentally. Yeah, um, me too. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was very happy about it. Like, I learned a lot. I'm very yeah. pleased that I had that experience. And you know my story. I had both an amazing experience and a horrible experience. Yeah one and the other. But what I gained from it was just truly exponential. And, you know, the result of it has really put me where I am today. So I'm actually very happy about it. Yeah. It's amazing when you can come through the other side or at least enough through the other side mm. where you're like, oh, fresh air. Okay. I'm right. going to be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I want to talk about that. And so let's get our listeners up to speed who may not know you and sort of know like what you've been through in the last few years. Mm. Can you give sort of like a snapshot of what you were doing and um, what happened? Yeah, totally. So Again, accounting industry, uh, I think it might be useful to understand sort of how I ended up there, Absolutely. just to give the context and then explain what happened and then ultimately what really happened. So I grew up Pacific Northwest, Washington State, Bellingham, Washington, mm -hmm. and aspired to be a dancer and made my way to Baltimore, danced through college, then up to New York and embarked on a career as a professional performer and choreographer up there. But as I was doing that, um, you know, even though I was successful getting paid to perform and, and rehearse and all that jazz, literally, it, it wasn't enough, you know, it wasn't enough money to pay the bills. And, you know, and, and there were choices, right? Like I could do what everyone else would and go wait tables and work odd jobs. That wasn't inspiring. And so I ended up falling into really market and marketing internship at a dance service organization. And that led me into the world of nonprofit management, specifically with a specialization in um, communications, marketing, and media. And so that was awesome. And so I sort of managed this career as both a marketer, right? 
mostly for nonprofits, focused on social good. And a performer, choreographer, I did cabarets and ran my own festivals and performed just like had the best time ever. But even so, it wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. I mean, I think the lesson I learned working inside the nonprofit sector is that unfortunately, that sector is just so strapped with resources that the the lack mentality or the poverty mindset takes over and it really becomes your life. Unless you're lucky, and I think it is lucky to end up in, in a certain position. Nonetheless, I was then continuing my way through the world of nonprofit management and ended up uh, as a development and communications director for a workforce development agency that taught unemployed and low-income individuals um, how to be bookkeepers. And so that was sort of the beginning of the journey into the accounting sector, but still it was on the nonprofit side. Now, the result of that was successful. I actually, through my efforts, the organization won an award, a national citywide award. We secured our first capacity building funding sources. And it was really exciting. And really the bottom line is that it was through my work as what I now call a marketing innovation specialist that I was able to literally lift this thing off the ground and put it out into the space and generate results. And so the board members of that organization saw what I was able to do in their nonprofit. And so they asked me to do the same thing basically for a bookkeeping company. And it was very small, super light. You know, there were two and a half people working. There was no marketing strategy, no sales pipeline, really not the best website. It was like old school branding, sort of brochure website, and really no plans for future growth, no understanding for what was even happening, what the customers needed, whether or not the business model made any sense from the perspective of scaling. And so so I decided to say yes, because my mind is like, okay, for-profit world, accounting industry, you know, I'll make my money there and then I'll be able to do whatever kind of art I want. You know, I won't be limited by a, a nominal paycheck from a nonprofit that I'm working with. I mean, plus, I mean, when you get into an environment like that, it, but like, I feel like there's so much potential to take your ideas and to just shape things when there's nothing in place, right? I mean, yeah, sometimes it's great to go into something where everything is just sort of a well-oiled machine and you're just... Yeah plugging in. But yeah. when, you know, there's like so much to do and they are hiring mm. you for your expertise, like mm. there's so much potential. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, like turns out that's something I'm really good at. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I didn't know yeah. it, but like it's the, yeah. what's one of my skill sets. And, and I think that, you know, like going back to just the name that I've sort of adopted for myself this idea of the remover of obstacles. And the reason why I chose that name is because it's like that I was at an event this weekend in Mexico and one of my partners, one of my friends stood up at this gathering and made this comment about Ganesh, right? Um, which is the God with the elephant head. And he made, he told us the story about how Ganesh is the God that runs through the or it's fashioned off of the head of the elephant, right? So the elephant is the one that runs through the forest the first, right? To clear the space so that everyone else can come through. And so it's sort of this idea that like somebody needs to be the first to go through. Somebody needs to be the first to pave the way and somebody needs to be the first fearlessly to move forward through an environment that might not even be known yet. And that's exactly what happened and has continued to happen for me in pretty much every single aspect of my career. And so coming back to the story, you know, I didn't know anything about accounting. I mean, aside from having taken the bookkeeping course that our participants had, that we were training our students in, right? participated in that way. I learned sort of debits and credits and how to, you know, do T accounts, enter transactions into a QuickBooks file. But that was the extent of my knowledge going into this role. And plus the fact that it was like, okay, you can build whatever you want, let your imagination go. And as an artist, 
you know, I've, I'm fine, I'll take those reins and write right. them to the bank. And that's exactly what I did. I just threw myself into the industry, figured out left, right, top, bottom, where I was in the mix of things, went outside into networking events and just started bringing in business, bringing in business. And I brought in a ton of business over the years, particularly, but in the first and second year, it was like astronomical, the amount of business I brought in. And then as I was doing that, I was constantly inquiring. It's like, what do the customers need? But more importantly, what do small businesses need? What do entrepreneurs need? What can I give our client to empower them to be successful? And I just kept running like that for, well, ultimately for seven years. And, you know, I turned what was a, a two person, two and a half person practice with nothing but a skeleton into a multi-million dollar professional services firm with about 20 employees, three divisions of service, full outsourced accounting department, bookkeeping control. CFO services, talent acquisition team, and an accounting technology specialization. And yeah, in the midst of that, I was speaking at conferences and right. preparing to write a book. And we were like literally in the midst of one of the big sort of sectors that was served by our organization was nonprofits and the accounting software wasn't meeting their demand. So I was literally in the middle of an acquisition of intellectual property so that we could develop our own software for these people. So all this sort of drive and innovation and creativity was like crashing through this intense growth phase. And then to get to the part of the story where what happened is then one day I, um, you know, doing my thing, <laughs> shaking and moving, like as I do, I got a letter in the mail from an attorney. And the letter basically stated that this client who had been with the business well before my involvement in the organization was suing us. And you know, I was completely shocked because wow. of the name of the client and knowing the history and the relationship and, the, and all the details, like, wow, like, okay, that client is suing us. This doesn't make any sense. So I picked up the phone, called my, my former business partner and said, what's going on here. And, you know, that conversation was very short. I mean, the, wow. the gist of the conversation was, you know, the gist of it was the, what did he say? The less you know, the better. You'll be getting an email from an attorney and just follow the process. Whoa. And I was like, that's so okay. cryptic. <laughs> well, it was very, very cryptic. And, and, and now I know why. And, you know, because as things unfolded, it just became clear to me how severe this was. Literally the next day, Maybe it was the next day. I got a stack of papers that was mm, maybe like four or five, four, I would say four inches thick, maybe five. And it was everything that had, had been happening behind my back, like as of late in terms of, you know, him going in and confessing and then providing all this information and supporting an, inv an investigation that had been going on for two months and then all the legal stuff that kind of came from that. And it was like, I was like, what I didn't even understand a tenth of what was going on. And, and, and then on top of all that, I had to respond to the judge by Monday. So this was Friday. I had to respond by Monday. And so, of course, I was like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? So, I, you know, I got some emails from some attorneys and some things were moving. And, and the, the gist of it was that in that everybody I spoke to uh, on the legal side, they wanted anywhere from $50,000 to $75,000 as a retainer in order to even respond to the paperwork. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, I just lost, like in my mind, you know, and it, it is accurate at this point. I just, I'm losing this company that I spent seven years to build. I was by the way, the lowest paid employee in my own company. So I had no financial resources 
in reserve to support the situation. Yeah, obviously, as it turns out, my uh, business partner <laughs> was embezzling money. So there were some other elements of the situation that were even complicated in terms of what I didn't know and what I had access to. And it's like, it w- and it was all moving faster than I could even catch up. And it was just I mean, overwhelming. What, what was, yeah, I can't even imagine that. That seems like a night, like a total shit show. And oh, yeah. so, I mean, but what was the lawsuit about? Was it part of the embezzlement? I mean, okay. yeah, I mean, gotcha. yeah, he, he'd embezzled millions of dollars. Oh, shit. And that's from- why the client was suing. Yeah, Man. exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and I and, and I was wearing the title of the CEO, and I was a yeah. shareholder, and so I was being included in the lawsuit. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty intense, and uh, because I didn't have legal representation throughout the entire course of it, I mean, basically, the best I was able to do was muster up five thousand dollars to hire this guy who was an attorney, to give me some advice on the side as I made my way through the legal system yeah. and the paperwork and the deadlines. And if there's one thing that has come forward for me that's very clear, is it's like if you, the system is not designed for people who don't have money. Right. The legal system. And if you have money, you can win. You can stay on top. You'll be fine. Even if you've done something wrong, right? Yeah. But even if you haven't done something wrong, if you don't have money you get the short end of the stick and let's just have file paperwork in a timely manner so that the thing doesn't default against you. Right. Cause literally that's what I was dealing with. Like, Oh God, I have a deadline and I missed it. Cause I just didn't know what, I didn't even understand what the paperwork was until four o'clock on Monday. Right. And then it was due at five o'clock. So it's like, took me the entire weekend to understand it myself. I think Um, the system is pretty fucked if you don't have money all the way around, you know, and it's not just legal. Yes, yes, of course. Absolutely. If you, if you cannot hire proper representation who can explain to you what's happening, I mean, the amount of effort and time that has to go into like figuring it out is it's overwhelming. Plus you're dealing with the emotions of the situation. Oh yeah. Which, you know, how do you, deal with that. Like once you figure that out, I'm sure it's like a huge adrenaline rush and you're like, holy shit, now what do I do? And just moving forward on adrenaline. But like, how do you deal with that? Like, and I know you're like a highly spiritual person. So I mean, how did you make sense of it? Yeah. Well, it was hard to say the least. I mean, I was committed to this pathway till death do us part. Like, you know, I, I, married this guy from a business perspective, married the business, married the industry and built an identity around the entire thing and relationships around the entire thing. So to watch that all disappear in Mm -hmm. the span of a weekend and then to not even know, but to just like project the possible outcomes. It literally, I went into hiding for like three, four weeks if anything, because the one thing that was true was I didn't know what to do. And as far as I was concerned, all of these attorneys were out to get me, period. Didn't matter what I did or didn't know. They just wanted me hung to dry, right? And so, and because I was part of this investigation, I literally said to my company through one key contact, I was like, okay, I'm going to like step back and all communication is going to go through you. And I'm not going to talk to any employees or any clients because I don't want to expose anybody to any risk. Right. And so I did that, which was in my mind, the right thing. And the result of that was that I, not only did I lose everything, I cut myself off from all the relationships I had had. 
even personal relationships, deep personal relationships, people I really cared about. And it was for their own safety and their own protection, but it just like, it created basically like this really deep, dark place for me where I felt very alone. So then in the midst of that dynamic, it was like, I would say maybe for like six months, just riding the wave and responding and giving up. I think one thing that I learned about this experience that has to do with resilience and recovery is sometimes you just have to let go, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't know the outcome Mm -hmm. at all period. And that, you know, there, I remember very clearly there was one day, I don't exactly, it was in October. So maybe like five, six months, seven, eight months, I don't know exactly when, after the original incident. And I, I remember walking to the courtroom and because I didn't have any representation, I didn't file, I didn't know what was going on. So I was walking into the courtroom completely uninformed and I just had to, out of my own ignorance in part, had to just accept the fact that like I could get arrested and put into the system and have no defense for myself. And so I better memorize my mom's phone number and my husband's phone number and my (laughs) uncle's phone number and pray to God that I don't have to make that call Mm -hmm. just because I didn't file paperwork. So the point is, is it's like part of it's like letting go, right? Because when you're in the middle of the shit storm, you're in the shit storm. It's just a storm, right? Now, what was interesting uh, and to sort of compound the matter, which yeah, I believe I shared this with you in the midst of all of that, was on top of that, my husband had been hospitalized for a month because of poor medication, and that was a result of his mental health issues. My best friend, one of my best friends um, and mentors, got two brain tumors and cancer. Oh and wow. was hospitalized. My, my mom was going blind and dealing with all these medical issues. And then, you know, and then like, and then I, my other, my only other source of income was through dance work. And that relationship was tumultuous for various reasons. And in part because of what was happening here and, and sort of the fear that was driving a lot of my other decisions. And, and I was just in this complete unstable environment and and had to be the stable one, had to be the one that was like, okay, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get into the car. I'm going to drive to New York. I'm going to go to this thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm doing the thing. Right. One thing after another, just following the path, I guess. Right. Because what else do you do? Well, not nothing. (laughs) Right. Literally nothing. You just get up and you do. Yeah. Um, And you do what you think is right. And sometimes you are right. And sometimes you make a mistake. And that, I think that was part of it too. It's like, Learning to get up after something like that, learning to walk into the room after something like that, learning to come back out into public after something like that, learning to tell your story after something like that, you know, learning to understand what happened. I mean, you know, part of my processing was, you know, this thing took me so far off kilter that like, I literally, like, cognitively speaking, like, was completely just disturbed by it. I feel like it was some form of post-traumatic stress. And, and, And the result of that was that, like, my subconscious was literally, I guess it's kind of like, like little earthquakes. Like I was, I was experiencing these dreams that would tell me what was going on because I couldn't understand it. And then I would do these like meditations and journal writing and, and like processing of the experience, just trying to navigate the trauma, basically. So let me ask you this, because yeah, I mean, it's mind blowing to hear about like what happened and mm. was the despair from that this could have happened? Like, what was the most upsetting thing? That that you got betrayed by your business partner, that he embezzled, and 
I mean, obviously that is like a well, heavy hit, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I would say that, yes, betrayal is like the, the, you yeah. know, the headliner. But really what it was for me, and this is the hard thing, the hard lesson I had to learn is that betrayal is a two-way street, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he obviously in a very tangible, clear, direct way, there was a betrayal of trust purely through the actions that he had taken. But as I look back at the situation and I reflect on some of the business decisions I made and really ultimately the things that I, was, that I stood for didn't stand for consistently, that mm-hmm. that's where I actually betrayed myself. And, I, and one very explicit example that, uh, that is the example, then in fact, to be, to be honest, it would have been the thing that would have saved me, is from day one, I never got an employee agreement. Mm. never and you're like oh yeah I, I knew the guy for three years the prior two it was a great relationship we, yeah. we worked well together it was awesome i was like of course and then when we made this commitment it's like working together for the rest of our lives this is what we're doing we're, we trust right. each other so you know not asking for employment paperwork yeah. at the onset ultimately screwed me over on the back end and and you know i'd been asking for it and it got literally it got to the point that I would say near, near the end where I just got so pissed off and, and frustrated that it didn't happen that I just gave up on it. I was like, fuck it. You know, he, he's going to have to give me, when we make this deal to acquire this IP and bring on investors, he's going to have to, we're going to, we were doing corporate cleanup work, you know, getting all the paperwork. So yeah. Eventually it's just, we're just going to have to put that piece of paperwork in place for me and then I'm going to be fine. Well, that, you know, as it turns out, a day late, a dollar short is, you know, what they say. Well, did he and, just yeah. not want to do it or did he have excuses? Was he just busy? A million excuses. Yeah. Million excuses. Crazy. I mean, I think that happens for people, you know, they're friendly, they have a good relationship and then they enter into business. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously this is like a huge scale of it, but mm-hmm. you know, I read this all the time, even with freelancers, it's like, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to write this article for da 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 and they don't, you know, they have no... They have no agreement. So, yeah, that's that's a big – and I think it's it's always good for you for being able to, like, extract, like, your piece in it, you know, and because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've done a lot of mining <laughs> about that, uh-huh. you know, because – but still, like, to be betrayed by your business partner and to, mm. like, you know, find out via letter and then – what a nightmare. What a mm. nightmare. And I think, like, the piece that you touched on – about going reclusive and and stepping out like away and like disconnecting from your friends and your community and whomever else you know i mean i recognize that as like despair you know you're just sort of in this place Mm -hmm. where i mean i've definitely experienced it where it's just like nothing is going right i don't know what the fuck is happening i don't know who to Mm -hmm. talk to Mm -hmm. i don't want to burden anybody with this i don't Mm know you just take away your presence and people notice and you're like Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know. Sorry, but this is the reality of what my life is right now. So, I mean, how did you pull yourself out of that? Well, I had to do something that I didn't want to do. What that means on one hand, yes, is like facing it and just accepting it for what it was, but also asking for help. And I say that, oh yeah, of course you'd ask for help, but look at the situation. But you have to think back to like my track record up to that point was I can figure it out. I can handle it. I can DIY Right. I can make, cause that's what I've been doing up to this point. I, I got my, I got myself to college by myself. I, I got myself from the West coast to the East coast by myself. I moved to New York 
by myself. I survived mm-hmm. 10 years of New York by myself. Ooh, yeah, right? it's not easy. Not easy. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I made it as an artist. By, yeah. and, and I say by myself, and I have to acknowledge it. It wasn't actually by myself, right? But, but the attitude behind it was like, you know what? When you're down and you're out and you have nothing else to go to, at, to your disposal, just figure it out. Just yeah. figure it out. And that's how I ran my life, right? And it helped. It helped. But it, you know, what helps you can also hurt you. Right. And, and so fast forward to this, this instant instance here, like I literally had to ask my family for money. Mm -hmm. I, I had to ask friends for money. I had to ask colleagues for money. I had to ask people. I mean, I remember one day I was like, I couldn't even afford to get to work like, mm-hmm. like I was pe- penniless, literally penniless at the metro station trying to get to my job after having lost this other one, right? And like, it was so bad, I just didn't have any money, right? Yeah. And so getting over this, oh, I can do it myself mentality and asking for help was, was actually a really big milestone for me. Yeah. And what yeah. was the result of that? Like, how did that go? You know, it was interesting because the people that I thought would help some people didn't. Yeah. Some people did. And some people wanted to but couldn't. But it was interesting to see who responded. Yeah. In the first place. I mean, there are some people who have not spoken to me since. And there are some people who really stood out. It's like, oh my God, I didn't know that you cared enough to do that thing for me. And so, you know, it's it, it was one of those instances where it's like, okay, you find out who your real friends are. You know what I mean? I mean, you, I mean, I'm going to point you out. Like you, you were with me through this entire freaking yeah. thing, this transition, right? You were there to listen. And that alone was a huge, yeah, a huge thing for me because it's like just having somebody to talk to, to process through the conversation, to share insights and experiences. Like, yeah that alone is astronomical. So yeah, so I'm very grateful for the people that did choose to step up and step forward. And, you know, you, I got to see the true colors of some people too. I mean, there were some people who to this day believe that somehow I was involved in it. And mm-hmm. they're so convinced that they're, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't talk to them because I don't want to, but, you know, it's like fighting lions. Don't do it <laughs> unless you want to lose. But yeah. I'm not here to like change their mind and they can believe whatever they want to believe. I know what happened and I'm very clear about what I did and did not know. And, and people will decide what they decide. And that's, that to me has been really interesting is to see how people, like the lack of understanding and com- compassion. Yeah, I mean, and that comes in so many different ways, you know, and I, I hear you. It's like so interesting when Mm. people you think who you would assume would show up don't show up and then other mm-hmm. people who you are like whoa I, that's so interesting that they yeah. are even interested or care enough to show up in the way they are I know that feeling and mm-hmm. that's so it's so informational because then mm-hmm. it's like okay that's that's interesting I know where you stand because yeah. it's not it's not easy to ask for help like that and it's we're not really encouraged to do that with each other you know it's like i feel like we're all like operating in silos talk about community and whatnot but mostly we're operating in silos we do our thing i don't know i think it's really brave and vulnerable when people can ask for help and say i'm you know hey like this is happening like (laughs) you know yeah i may need money but i also need a lot of other things and you know it's not just about the money piece you know Mm -hmm. so yeah. Just to go back to the earlier conversation yeah. about betrayal, like something like that isn't an isolated incident, right? 
Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is question of betrayal was something that I like, it literally stopped me in my tracks. And I looked at all of my relationships and I had to ask the question, like, what is the integrity in this relationship? Mm-hmm. Is there actual trust? And, or if there isn't, and there's something between us, like, what is my relationship to betrayal in that conversation? Right. And I say that because I think, because you brought up money and the money thing was also another interesting component of the conversation. Um, because the one thing that I didn't care about was money. Right. In mm-hmm. fact, and I go back to the fact that I was the lowest paid employee in my own company. I didn't ask for employment paperwork, which is the document that would have solidified my financial compensation. Right. And then at the point when I needed needed money the most, I didn't have it and I had to ask for it. And what I realized is that there was actually this relationship between betrayal and money as it relates to, well, I mean, we haven't talked about this yet, but as it relates to gender and identity. And that was like a huge lesson that I learned about really about self-worth and my own masculinity and my relationship to women and men and particularly gay men, the guy who did this, my former business partner was a gay man. And then there's, and then I started looking at like my history of gay men, my relationship to them and this question about, well, did betrayal exist in those relationships? And, and then how did that translate to my own financial well-being? and what does financial well-being have to do with whole well-being? And so, and, and so therefore, you know, the actual of asking for money from someone was more than just a transaction. It was like a, a significant, it's like a mindset shift that had to occur for me mm-hmm. for my well-being to, to continue. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is something else that came to mind. Yeah, I mean, and so what was that shift? Like, can you describe that to us? Like, how did you do that? Yeah, I'm still processing that one yeah. right now, yeah. to be honest with you, right? And, and I think what I'm curious about right now, and I, and when I, what I say curious about is like the thing that I'm like, I want, I want to research. I want to like study more um, is the relationship between sex and money or the relationship between gender identity. Oh, they're very connected. Sex and oh. money are very connected. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. And to be clear, I don't exactly know to what extent and to what depth. And, and what I mean by that is like, once you know, you know, you don't know kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Like there's a whole world out there of knowledge. That I just am now like my eyes are opening up to. And, and so to go back to your question, I think what I realized was in my family, there were people that had money and people that didn't have money. And mm-hmm. In my family, there were a lot of strong women, and some of those women had money and some of them didn't. And then there were the men. And some of the men had money, some of them, I'm not, I'm trying not to like give names and all that jazz. But the point is, is that like what became clear to me was that if you want money, you have to sacrifice something. Mm-hmm. Specifically, you have to sacrifice something that translates to true happiness or translates to. Uh, personal fulfillment right it's like okay i have to get literally give you a piece of myself in exchange for that for that money so that interesting other thing can happen yeah and and as a gay man i you know specifically looked at my mother who you know my family was a low-income family um specifically my mom you know we lived on food stamps you know she had to ask for money she had to borrow money you know i don't really know what the financial relationship was between my father and my mother except for that i'm assuming that he like had to pay child support but i don't know if he actually did like you know it it was all very unclear to me but what i knew was that we didn't have a lot of money and that was it um and in order to do things like 
get clothes for school, we'd have to borrow money. It was just part of the dynamic. And, and yet in spite of that, like I noticed, like that I noticed that my mother of all the people that I related to, she was the strongest one, right? She mm-hmm. was because she cared about her kids. She cared about her kids enough to sacrifice whatever. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but to right. sacrifice something that, so that her three boys could continue could keep going, could keep moving. So it was very clear to me that there was something heroic about my mother, but it was also very clear to me that there was a struggle in having to ask for that because I know that deep down I feel like she wanted to be able to give it herself. Right. Wow. Um, That is such an intense connection. Yeah, yeah. And that behavior is something that played itself out in my relationship to men and money, right? I mean, look at Darren. Like I didn't – I mean, well, it's interesting – I didn't ask for what I wanted, but I didn't ask for what I needed either. And I just trusted him and I assumed that it was safe because he wasn't a straight male. Wow. He was me. He was me. He was another yeah. man. He was me. So it's like, okay, we can trust each other. We're in the same family, right? Well, that fucked up, you know, excuse me, but that fucked up my whole identity issue with gay men too. I mean, literally like every expression of masculinity got questioned at that point. Um, But what it also did, interestingly enough, was open up the possibility for me to trust men again, like straight men, which was like completely profound. And, and, And that opened up my relationship to my father. That opened up my relationship to my brothers in a way that had this thing not happened and required me to look at identity formation as it relates to gender expression and the relationship between gender and money, I wouldn't be able to, currently, I would not have imagined it possible for me to have a relationship with my younger brother. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, all of the growth that you have acknowledged from this situation. I mean, you know, I, it's like, where that's how growth happens, right? Pain and struggle, like intense pain. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like people talk about growth and they're like, oh, growth. They, but they don't talk about mm-hmm. the pain that is involved in when you're actually growing. I mean, it just sounds like, obviously, that was not the direction you were headed. And it knocked you down, you know, yeah. but that's, I, I've been reading a lot about twin flames and how they like mm-hmm. show up in our lives, you know, for, for the for the growth that we need, like our, the growth that our soul needs and in the way that we want to evolve as people. Mm. And so uh, obviously, I mean, twin flames don't just show up in romantic relationships. You're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to find my twin flame and roll, you know, right off into the sunset. No, mm. that's not it. The twin flame is here to like mirror us and to show us where we need to grow. And like, you've definitely been doing a lot of growing and healing and just, just, and who knows what, the future is going to hold for you because you went through that intense experience. Yeah. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So, I mean, thank you for sharing all that. That is like such an incredible story. And, and you know, what I think is amazing about you is that you have so much positive energy and are so creative and so artistic. And I love it when you just like, pop into my text and you're like, check this out. And then like, we, check, <laughs> we check in and then we're like, okay, I'm going to talk later. And then like, you know, or we're oh. introducing each other to people or it seems like you're always doing something fantastic. Mm. And so, I mean, how did you find inspiration in such uncertainty? I have that word, but you know, like as everything is changing and the ground is shifting beneath you and you're like, uh, I don't know. People are like living their lives, going grocery shopping and working their job. And I'm going through a fucking major life uh, situation here. Like how did you find inspiration in all of that? 
Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of personal development work, right? Like I, I think I shared this with you, you know, Mastin Kipps claim your yeah. power was like yeah. uh, an incredible journaling process, 45 day journaling process that literally just like ripped it all open for me. Right. Um, I know. Can I just say something about him? Cause you introduced me, we were doing this book together a little bit, remember? Yeah. And yeah. What I love about him is that he talks about trauma. Like he's a white yeah. man that talks about mm-hmm. trauma and like, mm-hmm. you know, family pain and like all. And I'm just like, thank God, you know. And I know there's other white men that are talking about this, but it's like he's very. If you're not following him on Instagram, you probably should, Mastin Kip, because he's mm-hmm. like, it's healing to see it like on his feed, you know, talking. Yeah. About- like it was the exact book that I needed to do the exact thing that I needed to do to move on to the next phase of my healing. Like it was perfectly timed. And then, and then from there, I ended up working at this organization called Exponential with this guy Kevin Herman, who's another amazing man, right? So masochist man, Kevin man, and he helped me to see what was possible um, through his coaching programs. Though I was working for him, he helped me to see what was possible through relating to like through these accountability groups to hold other men accountable. So it's like I was sort of doing all this men's work all of a sudden, like unintentionally in that organization. And, mm-hmm. and that just sort of spun off in, in, into what, who I'm currently working with right now, which is this guy, Craig Filek, and his program is called Purpose Mapping. Right, which has gotten me in into the world of astrology and human design. Oh, I love human design. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. And like putting all of this sort of knowledge together to understand yeah. who you are, right? To like look at your past, look at the stories, look at the experiences, look at the and then look at the symbolism that exists in our culture, in our society, in our world, and like piecing it all together yeah. to know one's self, right? That's the thing that yes. has driven me right and and then in the midst of all of that like just being clearer about my own spirituality and my relationship to to my dreams and to think you know things like tarot cards and and you know getting readings from psychics and you know i don't know if if half of it's true but the truth is is it helps like it actually is yeah. me to move forward and i will say this like one of the craziest things about some of my dreaming was that it was preemptive of what had actually happened which had that like had that not happened, then I think my capacity to um, be present to my dreaming as a way of knowing would not have been significant. And that's another conversation. Wow. But the point is, is that like that then opened up, you know, this whole realm of self related to creativity and the expression of myself as an artist. And so then all of a sudden I be I started to make dance and then I and then my work as a dance artist and my desire to know my family differently, partly in result of having built that relationship that was necessary to ask for help, I then became more interested in, in understanding who my mother was. And then that turned into this yeah. whole thing about supporting her as an artist. And then that turned into me actually exploring my own work as a visual artist. And so there's this whole like swirling of yeah. things going on that's just like, actually really dynamic and really interesting and really powerful that's the thing that's that, that's been sort of the inspiration to keep going is to to be able to see these things and to create from these things rather than to die from it and to suffer it right um, oh gosh that is amazing i love that and i i feel like i just want to jump on everything that you just said because i think like 
there are so many tools that, you know, we don't typically learn about, like say in school to like mm -hmm. teach us about who we are as people. And I think mm -hmm. it's so important, like human design, I just recently got turned on to human design, like late last year. And I was like, mm -hmm. whoa, like, of course, like this makes so much sense. What's your makeup? Do you know? Uh, I'm a manifesting generator. Okay. And so yeah. for people at home who don't know what that is, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. And what, yeah. I, what I know is that I have the ability to bring things into existence. Yeah. I am the source of my own energy and I can create. Yeah. And that's super powerful. I also know that just based on the different pathways and the components of it, my gut instinct is deeply spot on mm. and if i'm not paying attention to it then no matter what choice i make something will go wrong and so yeah. trusting the gut has been fundamentally significant for me and because of the way that the pathways are activated my form i am not healthy if i'm not communicating mm. period and, and more specifically if i'm not communicating to lots of people there's something about me, and this kind of ties into the astrology as well. There's something about me and money and relationships and gender and creativity and sexuality and this need to speak, to share what is known mm -hmm. with others. And that, that comes partly from the human design piece of it. That is so cool. I love human design. I, I know I'm a projector and I am learning more about that, which is like meaning that you sort of, you guide people and you sort of make, you have to really take care of your energy because it's mm. very limited, which is very mm. true about me. And also mm. you need to wait for the invitation to mm. give your guidance and give your insight, which is so true. Otherwise you can end up bitter. <laughs> Yeah. And that's like the specific word. And it's like, oh, yeah, how many times yeah. have I like ended up bitter because I just have all that get all this knowledge and information about somebody when they're talking to me. And right. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And they don't want it. And it's like, okay, that's not I have to wait until somebody tells me it's okay to tell them what I think, you know, that's funny. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> but isn't that like cool that now that you know that you know that, right? Like, let me get yeah, yeah, let me see another example. Like, on, and then I'll be mindful of time because we said that this would be 45 minutes. So we're I like, know. Yeah, I know. I, I, I do have another question for you before we wrap up. So, anyway, okay. yes. so I'll give you one thing and then okay. you have the question and then we'll wrap up. And then anybody that wants more info, they can, you know. Okay. So in my work with Craig, right, with Purpose Mapping, we recently were reflecting on the fact that Scorpio, right, shows up in various parts of my astrological chart. And what's, what's interesting about that, again, like money and relationships and like, and you look at sort of what has happened. And anyways, he sort of shared this story with me about the frog and the scorpion. And, and you know, I, I'll give you the summarizer. So that basically, it's like the water is rising and then all the animals have crossed. And then finally, what remains is a frog and a scorpion. And, you know, the scorpion turns to the frogs like, oh, you know, he could swim across. It's no big deal. He can handle it. But the scorpion looks to the frog and says, hey, frog, can I jump on your back? And can you help me across the water? And so the frog turns to the scorpion and like, seriously? You want to get on my back? Like, you're a scorpion. I know what you do. Yeah. You're going to sting me. And they have a conversation. The scorpion convinces, convinces the frog. And they get going, and they're going, and they're going. And they get across. And all of a sudden, whack, out of nowhere, the fucking scorpion stings the frog. Uh -huh. and, and, and then this frog turns around and he's like, what did you do that for? 
I was helping you. It was helping you get across the water. And the squirrel says, what can I do? What can you do? I'm a scorpion. You knew I was going to stay oh here. It's God. like in my nature. Right. And so what, what's interesting about that is that in my astrological chart, the scorpion keeps showing up in these various places. And so the way that that's translated is, Matthew, you're always going to be riding with a scorpion. It's mm-hmm. part of your design, astrological design. It's just part of the game. So knowing that, protect your assets. Be smart. Right. Which is perfect. Because if you look at what just happened, right two and a half years ago, I was riding with a scorpion. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And it's happened in other relationships too. But now that I know that my resolve now is like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know who you are. I know, I know who you are. We're friends. We're, I have a friend right now where, you know, we're um, doing business together and I love her. She's awesome. I've had a long history with her, but even with her, I want an agreement. Yeah. Because I've learned the hard way. And I'm not saying that it, it'll happen any way, shape, or form, but I know that like the universe has me riding with scorpions, girl. So if it's, if, if it's not you, it's going to be something somewhere else. And so I just need to protect myself because that's just how it's designed. Right. And I think that's such good knowledge to have and also like following your gut because your gut probably tells you mm. where you need to protect yourself, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine I'm not your gut, but that's, you know, like <laughs> comes, you know, you get a, you get a shot of info and you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, just share one thing on that. And, and what's interesting about that is that when, <laughs> if you ever sit with me and you like, we're talking and you hear me go, mm, 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 like that, uh, that guttural yeah. sound is actually my gut responding. I love so that. If I just listen to that. I'll be fine. It's yeah. when I'm ignoring it and like thinking in my head and like yeah. trying to analyze oh and create, that's when things fall apart. I know the body has so much wisdom. Okay. Yeah. Right. We, we can totally do a follow up to this, but let me just ask you one more question yeah. because before we both part ways for the day, um, this has been so amazing. Spiritual entrepreneurship. What is that? How do you define that? What does that mean to you? You know, I, I for the longest time I'd waved to the banner of conscious capitalism and I think Unofficially, I still do. Um, there, and I say that meaning that there's an organization called Conscious Capitalism, and I've volunteered for them um, for many years. Um, unfortunately, recently, um, they did something that just crossed a line for me, and I just had to sort of say no, thank you. I'm. It's another scorpion came to bite me in the ass. No more free labor and. When I stepped back and looked at the bigger picture, it's about something deeper than just conscious capitalism. And I guess consciousness is part of it, but, but really to me, it is that idea of like spiritual entrepreneurship. It's like, it's recognizing that there is something deeper about the human experience that can be expressed in business, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's not necessarily limited to capitalism though that's like a whole other conversation about what is capitalism and what it is related to in this instance is entrepreneurship which is really just enterprise and creativity right like putting struck monetization structures and business models on top of the act of creating something that is a that is intended to generate and so when you say spiritual entrepreneurship what you're saying is like you have a commitment to something greater than you and it doesn't have to be god it doesn't have to be a set of gods it just has to be something that's bigger than you 
And it could be a purpose or a mission or, a, or an intention to like solve the problem for the world that, that you would never yourself solve because you are one person, but you know that through creating this enterprise, you know, have an impact on the world much more than making money. Right. And that, yeah. That's what spiritual entrepreneurship gotcha. is. Gotcha. I love that. And I feel like I would love to dive into that further, but mm. let's save that for next time. As well as uh, what it was like being queer in a conservative industry. We definitely right, that's like that, a whole right? other story, girl. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, I feel like we could go on for days. But um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, this has been an awesome conversation, Matthew, really. Thank you so much for your time. And so what? how can people follow you, follow along yeah. with what you're doing? Yeah, I would say go to my website, MatthewPatrickHagam.com. That's Matthew with one T, Patrick. Hegem, H-E-G-G-E-M.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, I still use Twitter and I love Instagram, though my artwork is mostly on Instagram. And then I'm also on Facebook. Um, so if you just Google me, you'll find me. I'm on LinkedIn. You'll just Google my name. You'll find me. Google um, Google me. Conversations is produced by Rhino Girl Media, a communications consulting company. To advance or evolve your next communications project, check out my website, rhinogirlmedia.com, or contact me at liz at rhinogirlmedia.com. You can always follow me on Instagram at Gold. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review, share it, or send me some love. Thanks for listening. Until next time.